0: Let's go now to the book of God The story of us And anytime we're going to talk about the story of us We have to go back to the beginning So take your Bibles with me and go to the book of Genesis You know we often preach sermons And we give you three points, three steps, formulas We give some type of strategy But the Lord never wrote in principles or formulas You see them as you look at the story What we have in the Bible is a story. It's the story of God. It's the story of us. And as we study the story, we learn who He is and what He's done. And we learn how to live that out. And we do live it out in a strategic way. But I want us to go back today to the beginning in Genesis. Our focus will be in chapter 3. But you know in chapter 1, we see the first glimpse of our amazing God... And he's so powerful that you see he he can't help but create. And how amazing is his creation. The ultimate in joy and creative power is our God. He continues on until he creates this garden. And in that garden, he places the man and the woman, their names Adam and Eve. He gives them more yeses than we can count and one no. However, we know the story. They partake of the forbidden fruit, the one no. And your Bible perhaps has, when you get to chapter 3, in that part of the scripture, either the man and woman sin or the fall of man. The fall of man. I want you to pick up the reading with me. We're going to go to verse number 8. Verse number 8. This is Genesis chapter 3. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman... You gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Aren't you so glad times have changed? Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, and notice God goes into action and begins giving revelation on redemptive history. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband But he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust... And to dust, you will return. Pray with me. Lord, as we begin our study, the story of us, we have to go back because we're, we're all part of this. And it begins in Genesis. I pray for a very powerful word, a helpful word. Not only are we learning facts, but Lord, we're seeing the practical influence that it has on us even today today and in some cases, devastating consequences unless we respond out of what you offer us through Jesus Christ. To that person here who's on a search for truth, let this message be helpful. For that person who has known you and and walked in a knowledge of you for many years, may this message be helpful. The only way you bridge those two uh, and, and all those in between is by your spirit. And so Lord, this word written thousands of years ago, now becomes relevant to our hearts, and it's by your spirit that 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 happens. So we're open to you and ready to receive and be changed as a result of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Lord God made man, and everything is great. There is no brokenness. There are no barriers. They're connected to God. They are connected to one another. Everything is just bursting forth with life and then the fall happens and we see in the passage I've read to you the direct results. I would like to work my way from the last verse I read to the first. It's in that last set of verses that we see God speaking to the man and he talks about the ground. When he talks to the woman, he talks about relationship. When he talks to the man, he talks about his work. One of the consequences of the fall is that We no longer realize our worth and significance in God. That's the plan. That was the original plan. That is still the plan that we would have our identity in God. We sang it on purpose today that I know who I am. If that is true, then I don't identify myself by what I do. Many times when you're in conversation with a man, the the first question in getting to know them is not about their family, not about their history, but what is it that you do? Because we are so closely identified by what we do. We often find our worth, our affirmation in what we do. So we go crazy with this this ambition that is an unholy ambition, all trying to fill the void in our heart, seeking worth, seeking significance out of what we do rather than who we are and whose we are. It is a consequence of the fall to the woman. You see that he talks about her desire. The word desire in Hebrew is teshuka, and it means a, a, a yearning. It's a lusting after that which, at the end of the day, can't deliver. Pursuing that which can never provide the fulfillment. She had her worth and significance in God. Now she's going to pursue it in relationship. I do not just compartmentalize and say it's only men that seek their worth and significance in what they do. And I do not compartmentalize women in that they would only seek their worth and significance in the relationship that they have. You see it trickling down and affecting all of us. And you'll see people in all kinds of relationships, one right after the other. Who's she going to be with this week? Who's he going to be with this week? What's the deal with that? It is a pursuit of finding significance and worth in that horizontal relationship when you were created to know that between you and God. Until you find who you are in God and realize that he is the one that meets the need in your heart, you will put an unnecessary and an impossible demand on those that you're in a relationship with. They'll never be able to please you. And when they no longer live up to the standard, you will ditch that one, trade it in on a new one, only to find that in time it's the same because only God can fill the vacancy in our heart. There's no job, no matter how awesome the pay, the schedule, and and how it aligns with the use of how God has made me, that will really meet the, the hole that is in my heart left by the fall of man. Only God. However... Look at our world even today. This that we read happened thousands of years ago and we see its influence, its implication, even today as people pursue on a pursuit. It's like Solomon, and we grab and it's like grabbing the air, and when we open our hand, the job couldn't satisfy, the relationship couldn't satisfy, because only God can satisfy. So those are a couple of the consequences and oh how they impact our lives notice some of the reaction we're we're backing into this passage that we read what did adam and eve do well they they blamed they blame shifted says eve or adam says to god this woman you gave me here's a consequence of sin and the fall of man is that we don't take personal responsibility we make excuses and we blame shift and we play the role of a victim Adam says, This woman you gave me. And when you listen to that statement, this woman you gave me, it's like he's blaming her and God. This woman you gave me. He did say, She gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. It's like he did acknowledge that he actually moved his mouth, you know. But it was so, so inauthentic and he is blame shifting. He looks at her and she says, The devil made me do it. So there's blame shifting. How often do we see that? Making an excuse. Well, if this would not have happened, then I would have never done what I did. If this person would not have done that to me, then I would not have reacted and responded the way I did. I do not come with condemnation. I just come with clarity. Do you see that what we are dealing with in this present culture goes all the way back to Genesis? It is the story of us. Now, what else do we see? When God came looking for them, they were hiding. Hiding, blame shifting. Hiding, repressing. Repressing sin, hiding sin, anxiety, fear. Hiding that which is really going on in our lives. Repression being the very opposite of confession. So as Henry David Thoreau said, we live a quiet life of desperation. Interesting that we can come into a setting like this. From the first note of our gathering today, there was a a marked presence of the Lord here. He loves us. He wants to be with us. God is in this place. And the very last song, I need your mercy, I need your grace. It comes from the heart that is like David's heart in Psalm 51. Lord, it is me. And I need your grace, Lord. I need your help. I'm far from the person I need to be. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Rather than that becoming the corporate call, we can sit in a service like this with a life that is falling apart and go through the motions because we're hiding. Hiding. Interesting. We've all lived long enough to see this. A couple is attending church it would appear that this married couple that's attending church, they're doing fine. All outward signs would indicate that. They sit in church on a weekly basis and along the way hear sermons about being the kind of people that God has called them to be. And it seems that there's, there is a listening ear. And then all of a sudden, we hear a disastrous story of their marriage splitting apart. And we say, we didn't even know Anything was wrong. Because we have learned from our first parents how to hide. Hiding. And blame shifting. A person can be in this room right now struggling with pornography. It's going to overwhelm you. It's going to overtake you. It's going to take you down. And instead of coming to a brother and saying, I need your help bringing that sin into light where it can start being addressed we keep it in the dark where it's nurtured and grows while we hide it overtakes us I want us to see that what happened in Genesis 3 continues to happen and it is devastating it will it will keep us we're looking at Adam as a picture of potential and it's it's squandered potential So we want to live up to who God has called us to be. So is there there hope? Well, see, at the center of the story, even in Genesis 3, we start getting an indicator that there is a Redeemer coming. When you come into the New Testament, you see powerful, powerful words, and the words I'm about to read to you are the words of hope in a situation for those who are finding sin in their life and overtaking them and destroying them this is the answer for the pursuit of trying to find significance and worth in someone rather than god this what i'm about to read to you is the answer for finding worth not in something that you do but then who you are in god see god created us and the original plan was that was supposed to be enough when someone would say to you, you're the people of God. You are the creation of God. That's all we would ever need to feel a deep down internal significance. We wouldn't have to play the part and get all these surgeries in order for people to accept us and like us and say, hey, you're, you're good looking. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's coming on the screen now. I'll read it first of all in the New Living Translation. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, has become a new person. Those are the operative words, new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Let me read it in the NIV. It's coming up now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. What is the answer to this sinful nature? All of us are affected By the fall, every one of us, we are born in iniquity. We have a sin nature. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. What's the answer to that? It starts in 2 Corinthians. It is at the center of this story of which we are a part. God sent his only son. And Jesus gave his life on a cross and rose again triumphantly over sin, so that all of those who call out upon him, put their trust in him, are made new. And the operative words are new creation. The creative, renewing, repairing power of God. You may want to write those words down new creation. The New Living Translation said, new person. I Once I accept Christ, I'm fundamentally not who I was. I no longer have to pursue achievement to meet that ongoing emptiness in my soul. Harrison Ford, who has made more money than most any other male actor, was on David Letterman's show, and they're just having their... Interview and Letterman looks at him and says, What is it like to be you? You have everything. He said, No, I, I really don't. Letterman, trying to make a joke out of it, says, No, you do. And he says, No, I don't. And, and Letterman pressed the issue, says, No, you, he said, No, I don't. He said, Well, then what do you not have? This is a guy who's made millions of dollars, has fame and fortune, name recognition. And the letterman says, what do you not have? And he said, peace. Because you can't find that in what you do. You can't find that deep down settled peace in somebody that you know horizontally. That is to come from God as he makes you a new creation. Then we can love each other for each other. I can love you for you because I don't need you. So I can appreciate you for you. That has such marriage implications, friendship implications, church life implications. Look at Ephesians 4.22. This is in the New Living Translation. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust. The word lust is the same word for the word desire in Genesis 3. "...which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. NIV. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires." To be made new in the attitude of your minds. The scripture is huge about the attitude of our minds. Continue. And to put on the new self created. To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. New nature are the words in the New Living Translation. New self there in Ephesians. There seems to be this other me. There's this me that wants to honor God, serve God for all the right reasons. Then there's this other me, this other voice, this this ongoing dialogue in my head that is carnal, that is wrong, that is twisted. And Paul says we don't learn to cope with the other me. Paul never called it the other self. Here's the power of Jesus. Paul called it the old self, because something can be fundamentally changed to where I don't live a life coping with the other me. I live a life out of the new nature, the new self, for the old self has passed away. That's a good place for an amen. I don't have to be the person I am by the power of God put on the new self the new nature i used to be like that i used to go after all of these relationships on that pursuit of worth and significance i would go after this degree and this job whatever your story would be trying to find that peace but i don't have to do that anymore because i have the new self given to me in the grace of god the new nature given to me here's first peter chapter 1 verse 3 new living translation All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. NIV. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth. Into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New creation, new self, new birth. Here we are seeing the power of the gospel to redeem, revalue, renew, repair. It's the power of God so that I die to some ways that were never able to satisfy. And I am alive to a whole new living way given to me by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I now have a living hope. Often in conversation with people, you perhaps have had this happen. You're talking to someone and you're getting into a conversation and you realize you're treading on thin ice with them and they may even say to you, don't go there with me. That subject, that area is too painful The sin was too ugly, the circumstance was too hard, and they have compartmentalized that off, and it's like, don't go there with me. Here is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is to to go deep into our heart and soul to what really drives us, and the Lord will never be content to accommodate the don't-go-there-with-me attitude. He's going there. Because life will never function until you let him go there. Life will never work unless you allow his spirit to go there. He's interested to bring you together a wholeness, mind, soul, and body. The gospel is clear. The Lord's going to go there and he will work there. That's why sermons like this can create tension. I talk about hiding and then I reference pornography or a marriage that looks great, but it, and, and people start going, "Oh my God, he, he's getting too close." And we feel the tension. Church, on occasion, has got to be a place where in the gospel of God, the tension is created to help us to come to grips with who we are, so that we are given the opportunity to quit hiding, quit blaming. And Find God's grace. Satan wants to divide and conquer. He wants to keep you in hiding. Oh, you're in a crowd of people, but you have your secret. You have all that stuff going on, and yet you've got a veneer of church and a veneer of religion and a veneer that everything is fine. But beneath the surface, there is some major stuff, and unless it's dealt with, it's going to bring you down And we've got to have services where someone says, come out of hiding. And then, church, we have the kind of loving atmosphere where it is safe to no longer repress, but confess that we might find grace and help in the time of need. If we confess a struggle and it means we are no longer accepted because, oh, I can't believe. We live in hypocrisy by forgetting what goes on in our own lives and we are no longer the church of the living God. We are a religious institution and we have become a country club where we pay our dues. We are no longer a hospital for the sick where they can come and find a healing Jesus. May this be a safe place because somebody needs to come out of hiding today and they're scared that if they respond to God, how we may think about them. This is a safe place where sin abounds. Here's the word grace does much more abound. It doesn't mean consequences are eliminated, it doesn't mean there's not perhaps a, a disciplinary pattern of which you need to follow in order to recover your life, your testimony, your reputation, but it says you. Don't need to hide another moment, not another day, not another. I pray the spotlight of God's presence so bright right now that it brings your true heart into the light. No hiding, and watch this, no blaming. No blaming. If someone crossed the line with you, it was abusive, it was horrible, but it's destroying you. Martha Tennyson taught us the person who hurt us can't heal us. You take responsibility for your heart and bring it before God. No excuse making, no blame shifting. Let God go there with you. Michelangelo is known for some of his famous artwork, but there's a museum in Florence, Italy that holds the the more unknown. And it's interesting because... All of the pieces of art in that museum are unfinished. They are incomplete. So you'll you'll see a leg over in one place. And over here, there's like a, a torso in the making. And everything just says it wasn't finished yet. And he gave a word to all of those pieces in that museum. He called them captives. They were in process. They were becoming. But their full potential has not been realized Potential. God-given potential put in every one of us, a mind that can think, a body that functions, gifts and talents and skill sets and time, influence on those around us watching us. An incredible life. And, and we don't want to go through life a captive, unrealized potential, a half-man Almost what we could have been but never just coming to God for the new birth the new creation the new self that then can go on because as many who are the sons and daughters of God to those he gives the power to become so in God you can become all that he created you to become it's a life of freedom that's why Jesus' first message his first sermon goes into the temple, and he gets the scroll. He could have preached from anywhere, but he unrolls the scroll, and he goes to Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah, which was all about himself, and he says, I have come with an anointing to set the captive free. And when he sets the captive free, it's now you're, you're no longer who you were. There has been a fundamental change, new birth, new creation, old things have passed away. Now you walk it out in the transformational power of God, becoming all that he created you to be. Standing before him one day as we all will. Saying, Lord, I lived of life, not of unrealized potential. But I maximized the potential of who I was, who you made me, and the life you gave me. No more hiding. No more blaming. No more pursuing that deep down significance in what we do or who we know. But all from Jesus, grace, mercy, power, set free a whole new day, a whole new life. When my daughter Lindsay was just a very little girl, she came out of her room crying down the hallway into the living room where I was and her little hand was all tangled up in her hair. And as she pulled, she would cry. As she was trying to set herself free, it was creating more pain. I said, Lindsay, look at me and listen to me. If you'll just stop doing what you're doing I'll get it untangled. If you keep doing it, if you keep pulling and you keep trying, it's only going to get worse and the pain will continue. If you'll stop, I'll work it out. And the father took his hands, reached into the tangled mess, and began to undo and set her free. Quit trying to fix yourself. Because the more you do, the more tangled you will become. Put your hands in the hands of your father, your creator, and say, I need your mercy. I need your grace. And he will set the captive free. Let's pray. There is a strong very real presence of God's love reaching to your heart, speaking to you, directly to you. It's His love, it's His mercy, it's a call of God's mercy to you. He'll do the work. All you have to do is yield. All you have to do is submit. Just give your heart to Him. It is my highest privilege to lead you in that with your eyes closed in his presence if you are willing to say Pastor Ron ask for me, no more hiding no more blame shifting no more no more then I want you to raise your hand right now yes, raise it up Raise it up and I'll see it. Raise it up. Yes, 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 yes. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? When Even when you raise your hand, you just, you feel that sense of surrender. It's an awesome feeling. See, that's all you can do. You use your power of choice to surrender. And then it's God's power that brings healing, that brings change, that brings hope. There's not a judgmental heart in this room. There's no one that will look at you with an eye of condemnation. Not a person. This is a safe place for the presence of the Lord to work as a physician on your soul. You may know the Lord, but there's still this brokenness and a barrenness going on. I am not going to give specifics because I don't want someone who would come to this altar to think, well, people, people are going to think that I'm this or I'm that. No, it's this. If you need Jesus in the work that I've called brought before you today, then you just respond just as you raise your hand. As this team here in a moment sings, you may feel in your spirit, I, I want to go to the altar. What is that about? If you're brand new to this church, it, it's just an opportunity for you to really focus in on the Lord. It's, there's no, no difference in the presence of God up at the front of this service, church, than where you're seated. It's just an opportunity for people who love you to show their encouragement to you. Stand with you, pray with you. It's a part of your surrender. There's something about when you're willing to just go public with your heart for God and your request for His help. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you raised your hand or you needed to raise your hand, and you're saying today, no more hiding, no more blame shifting. I'm going to Jesus, I'm running to Jesus as they sing feel the freedom to find the nearest style and come forward